The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. <clears throat> Granger and the Partridge family have gone to uh, Arcadia to lead worship with the kids, the Firm Foundation, for a, and Jared Clary is preaching for a student day at Allison's father's church. Allison's dad is a worship leader at a church in Arcadia. So uh, they're over there doing that. Thank you, Daniel, and, and the praise team for leading us this morning to worship the Lord. Uh, we uh, continue in our study of Joshua, and we come to Joshua chapter 6, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. Y'all know that song? Jericho. Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. And the walls came tumbling down. No, I'm I'm done. (laughs) But the only problem with that song is if you keep going and looking at the lyrics, it's all about Joshua's battling in Jericho. And Joshua did not fight the Battle of Jericho. It says Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. No, God fought the Battle of Jericho. So if we're seeing that back there, we need to change the lyrics. It is about God fighting the Battle of Jericho. And Joshua, we see this. Uh, If we think about where we are in the story, in Joshua chapter 5, we saw God bringing Israel who had been stubborn and rebellious generation, he graciously was kind and, and, and long-suffering with them. We saw last week that, that Israel had been disobeying God for, for 40 years and a whole generation had been disobeying God. And instead of abandoning them, instead of giving, giving up on them, God provided manna from heaven. God provided uh, water from the rock and from, uh, turned bitter water into sweet water. God was graciously caring for them, providing quail in the evenings. Every step of the way, he never gave up on them until finally he brought them across into the new promised land with the new generation of Israelites, and they brought them to repentance and restoration. They circumcised, they took the Passover, and the moment that they were in that place of repentance, God restored the fullness of God's blessings to them. And so it's a beautiful picture of God's patient grace. That God has graciously cared for them. He never gave up on them. He cared for them all the way to the place that he brought them to repentance and restoration. And then we saw Joshua in a great place that when he saw the grace of God, he gave the proper response. And that was he fell on his face and he asked, what has my Lord to say to his servant? And we said that should be our same response. That if we have experienced the grace of God, forgiveness through Jesus Christ, which is solely a gift of grace, if we have experienced God's patient, long-suffering with our own disobedience, and He brought us to a place of repentance and restoration, then we should be in the same place where we're on our face Asking God each and every day, what is my Lord to say to his servant? This question that Joshua asked is a place of total devotion. Joshua is is in a place of total devotion. He says, what does my, my Lord have to say to me, his servant? How can I serve you today? And in the answer, we see the answer in chapter 6. And so today, we're going to look at chapter 6 in the Battle of Jericho. 
And we're going to see how this is a picture of total devotion to the Lord. In fact, we see uh, in some of the most difficult parts of the text that he says, devote the entire city, everything in it, to me. And so this is a picture of total devotion to the Lord. And my prayer is that as we study this text, we're going to be challenged. We're going to have our toes stomped on. And every single point of what total devotion looks like, we're going to realize our failures and our shortcomings. And my prayer is that we find ourselves where Joshua was, on our face, asking God in His grace, what do you have for your servant today? Lord, I ask for your help this morning as we look at this text of total devotion, as we compare our lives in the mirror of your scriptures. It's going to be a painful exposure of how, how often we are not totally devoted to you, Lord. I pray that we will see your grace and that your grace will move us deeper in devotion with you. I pray this by the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So what does total devotion look like in these verses? First of all, if you're writing down, we're going to have six attributes of total devotion. So you'll have six attributes to write down. The first attribute of total devotion is, number one, total devotion requires eyes of faith. I get this from verse 1 and 2. Notice how comical it almost is. Verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went in and no one came out. They knew Israel was coming. This large fortified city is tightly shut because of Israel. And then the Lord says in verse 2. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands. With his king and his valiant warriors. Can you hear Joshua going, um, no, I don't see. I don't see how you have given Jericho in my hands. What I see is a city that's fortified, geared up, ready for battle, and they know we're coming. We are doomed. So chapter 6, verse 1 is very similar to chapter 3, verse 15. When they are about to cross the Red the Did I get that right? No, not the Red Sea. When they are about to cross the Jordan River. There's a little parenthetic reference in verse 15 of chapter 3. It says, the river's at flood stage. So whether it's the river being at flood stage before God says, you're about to cross this river, or whether it's the city of Jericho being fortified and locked up tight because they know Israel's coming. In either case, the point is clear. This is humanly impossible. This will not be accomplished apart from the mighty work of God. And for them to be totally devoted to this calling, to move forward with total devotion, they must see with eyes of faith. We have seen through the writer of Hebrews, faith is the assurance and the conviction of the things God has promised. The word of God is a great gift from God because in the word, as we read the scriptures... A whole world view develops. The word of God tells us things that we can't see. Who God is. What he's doing. The promises he made. His plans and his purposes. And a whole different world view develops in our minds. That helps us understand eyes of faith. So that when God calls us to something. That we can move confidently in full devotion. Because we know and are certain of things unseen. But things that God has said. And if God says it, it's true. 
And so Joshua needed eyes of faith. For us to be totally devoted to the Lord, it requires eyes of faith, which means that we must have our life based on our decisions made upon, our actions grounded in the Word of God and the realities presented in the Word of God. To live a life of total devotion, we must believe that what God has said is true and is more real than what we see with our naked eyes many times. As God has called you to be totally devoted to Him, as He's called you to have eyes of faith, let me ask you, what is it in God's Word that you are currently doubting that is keeping you from living life totally devoted to the Lord? What promises has God made in His Scriptures that you must believe to move forward that you're not believing? God says, I will not hold your past against you because I've cleansed you by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? God says, you don't need to fear death because I've taken the sting of death out. Because for those who are in Christ, death is a transition to the presence of God. Do you believe that? God says, I will work all things out for your good and for my purposes. If you are a child of God, do you believe that? God says, I love you and nothing can separate you. Absolutely nothing can separate you from my love. Do you believe that? What part of God's word do you need to start believing to be able to move forward totally devoted to the Lord? If you're going to live a life in total devotion to the Lord, you must Start viewing your circumstances with eyes of faith based on the truths of God's word. Total devotion requires eyes of faith. That's number one. Number two, total devotion requires a willingness to look foolish. Total devotion requires a willingness to look foolish. Look at verses 3 through 5. The Lord tells them exactly what they need to do, but can you imagine how foolish they must have seemed when they heard God's instructions? They see the city, big fortified city. He's on his face. Lord, what would you have your servant do? And he says in verse 3, here's what you do. You march around the city. All the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. And then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people will go up every man straight ahead. So we're going to scare them to death. That's a great plan, Lord. I mean, can you imagine how... I mean, you know Joshua's going, this is stupid. This is my one big shot. This is an epic battle. Here we go. We're starting off. And you want us to blow trumpets and scream at them? This is just stupid. This is foolish. This is not how I would design it, Lord. This does not make sense. Think about what they're going to say when they're sitting inside the city walls, peeking out. What are they doing? 
Uh, wait, they're picking up weapons. Wait, wait, no, they're trumpets. They're picking up trumpets. They're walking around. They're not making a noise. Hey, this is, this is looking good for us. This is good. I like the way this is shaping up. This is not the way that we would do things. And we know from Romans eleven thirty three, Paul says, How unsearchable are God's judgments, how unfathomable are his ways. Asking them to march around the city and blow trumpets and then at the final day, don't say a word until that seventh time around on the seventh day, shout, the walls will come down. That's like saying believe that God took on flesh and died on the cross to forgive us for our sins. Paul says that's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who believe it's eternal life. The ways of God are unfathomable. It's foolishness to the world. What is it that God has called you to do that that just feels foolish? Perhaps it's trust in Jesus as your Savior for the first time. God has said it. It's true. Or perhaps as a believer, God has called you to Forgive someone and it just feels foolish. Perhaps God has commanded you to sacrifice for someone who you know absolutely does not deserve it. And it feels foolish. Perhaps God has called you and you know, he says in the scriptures, to be a hilarious sacrificial giver. And it just feels foolish. Maybe God has called you to adopt a child of a different race and everyone around you says, that's foolish. You're inviting troubles into your life. If we live fully devoted lives to the Lord... We must not think that we're going to walk a logical, practical path in life. God is not illogical, but His logic and His wisdom are way beyond ours. He calls us to things that all the time seem foolish. Total devotion requires a willingness to look foolish at times. Requires eyes of faith, requires willingness to look foolish. Number three... Total devotion requires total obedience. Total devotion requires total obedience. In verses 6 through 16 in our story, Joshua and Israel are pictured as doing exactly what they were commanded to do, even though it seemed quite foolish. They marched silently with the ark of the presence of God around the city, blew the trumpet, day one. They marched again. Day two, they did it again. Day three, they did it again. Day four, day after day after day after day. I cannot imagine the doubts that were in their mind until finally the seventh day, circle the city seven times with seven priests, bro, and seven trumpets. And on the seventh time with the long blast of the trumpet, when you hear that one, you shout and those walls are going to come down. And God did exactly what he said he was going to do. God works his plans 
and promises and purposes out through the obedience of His people. Verse 16, at the seventh time when the priest blew the trumpet, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. In verse 20, we see the results. So the people shouted, the priest blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. Total obedience to the Lord's commands brings about the Lord's promised results. It's not complicated. God expects obedience. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. It's not confusing. It's not a mystery. God's people are defined by the people on this planet who do what God says. You want to know who they are? Look for the ones obeying God. What are you holding back? God expects total obedience. All of us, if we're honest, know there's little compartments. We like to compartmentalize our lives. God, here's all my compartments. We'll go with seven, since seven's mentioned 14 times in this chapter. I've got seven compartments to my life. God, I'm going to give you five and a half of those. But these over here, I'm not ready to give you all that. Total devotion to the Lord, experiencing the glorious plans and purposes and promises of God come through our total obedience to the Lord. When you wake up in the morning, that should be the bent of your heart, humbly on your face before the Lord. And what does my Lord have to say to his servant today? No holding back. And God will begin to walk you out in his plans and promises. And it's glorious. Total devotion requires total obedience. Requires eyes of faith, a willingness to look foolish, total obedience. And number four, total devotion requires giving God the glory. We must not miss this one obvious point here, looking at the entire scene. Why in the world did God give them these strange seemingly stupid instructions to ceremonially march around the city, all these commands that just makes you just go, why would he do that? Well, he's going to make it clear. This is God getting the city. This is a work of God, not these people who were a tiny, small group of people who had nothing in them to make me want to choose them. He says, I'm the one getting the victory here. God does it in such a way that he gets all the glory, and rightfully so. I like John Selhammer's description of the Battle of Jericho. He says, Israel's role was purely and simply to represent the Lord before the people of the city. They had only to stand by and watch the Lord destroy the city walls. That's what our role is. We are simply... Purely and simply to represent the Lord before the people of Norris Ferry, the people of Shreveport. We only have to stand by and watch the Lord take care of our battles on our behalf. We get the blessings and He gets all the glory. 
David Howard in his commentary adds an interesting point about the command about shouting. He says at first in the, in the text, it says, don't shout, hold back your shout, be silent, don't make a word until that seventh lap around on the seventh day when you hear that long trumpet blast, then shout, baby, shout. And the walls are coming down. Now that word shout is used two ways in the Hebrew Bible in your Old Testament. One, it's a war cry that strikes fear in the enemies. But the same word is also used in the Psalms to cry praise and worship to the Lord. Listen to Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. So what you have, a picture here, is a people totally devoted to the Lord, carefully obeying the Lord. They represent to the world the people of God, and they are shouting praise and worship to God as He brings down His enemies. God is getting all the glory. Are you totally devoted to making sure your life is all about bringing glory and honor to the name of God? Or are you more worried about your own name and your own fame? Like the Babylonians who built the tower to make a name for themselves, who God confused their language and spread them across the face of the earth. Are you building a name for yourself? Name for your family, you worried about your image, you worry about what people think about you, or is your life all about magnifying the glory and grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? We were created to reflect His glorious image. We were created to show others how magnificent He is. That should be the bent of our heart. I exist to make much of Jesus. That is the overriding purpose of every Christian's life. We should be totally devoted to displaying the name of Jesus as glorious as it is. Total devotion requires giving all the glory to God. Requires eyes of faith, a willingness to look foolish, total obedience, and giving God the glory. Number five, total devotion recognizes all things belong to the Lord. Total devotion recognizes all things belong to the Lord. Look at verse 17. The city shall be under the ban. It and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Verse 18. As for you, keep yourselves away from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy. They're set apart to the Lord's purposes. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So in these verses, we see God commanding them, as you go into Jericho and you see all their possessions and all the riches and all the wealth, it's all mine, says the Lord. And you do with it what I tell you to do with it. 
Deuteronomy 10, 14, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest of heavens, the earth, and all that is in it. Everything we think we have is not ours. It all belongs to the Lord. And God alone has a right to command how it shall be spent. He owns all the land that He created, and He alone has a right to say this land of Canaan belongs to Israel. He owned everything in the land of Canaan. He owned the city of Jericho. He owned the people in Jericho. He owned animals in Jericho. He owned the money in Jericho. He owned it all. And he says, when you go in as a gift, I'm giving this to you, but don't mistakenly think that it's yours. You're just a steward. You're just a manager of my resources in this town. And I expect you to allocate them and spend them the way I tell you to spend them. And he tells them exactly what to do with all those resources. And I'm sure some people were sitting there, well, that's a big waste. That's a big waste of all those resources. You're just going to totally burn up all those resources. Do you know how much good we could do? Yeah, right. And I'm sure some of them thinking, well, all the gold and silver and iron, all that's going to the temple, all that's going to the treasury for the Lord's work. The Lord says, I tell you exactly what to do with these resources. I own it all, and I have the right to command how they are spent. To be totally devoted to the Lord means that we recognize that we are only managers or stewards of God's resources. And he warns them, when you start thinking it's yours and you start thinking it's going to all be about you and coveting it for your own good services, you wreak wreak havoc on yourselves, on your lives, and on the people of God. Allah, verse chapter 7, Achan at the battle of Ai. I used to be a money manager. It was a crime if I managed your money, my client's money, for my own benefits. The concept is management and stewardship. God did not say, this is yours, spend it on yourselves, don't worry about what I've got plans for. God says, this is at your fingertips to be used for my purposes and my glory. In the scriptures, he makes it clear that God says that my primary plan for the resources is to expand the kingdom of God through the ministry of the gospel. And the primary means, hear me carefully, the primary means which God created to do this work is the local church. Jesus died to create the local church. Jesus gave the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper as the perpetual ordinances for each local church. Jesus told Elders to be assigned when he called out people to the gospel message as he told the apostles, go out, spread the gospel. And when people hear the gospel and they're drawn in and called out from the perverse generation to the, to the gospel in faith, that calling out is the word ekklesia. That is the Greek word for church. The church is God's plan. And then he said, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you to you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. God's plan is that we finance the ministries of the church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
If you are a covenant member of this church, there is zero excuse if you are not contributing to the budget of this church. I say that with no apologies. If you're a guest, you're off the hook. If you sign the church covenant, you're on the hook. You said, God has called me to this place to fund the ministries of the gospel through here. Some of you say, well, what about the parachurch ministries? They're great. That's a straw man argument. It's not a decision of whether you should give to the church or give to them. Give to them all. There's plenty of money to fund all the ministries that we want to fund if we all understood that it all belongs to Him and He has called us to shepherd it for His gospel ministries. My prayer and my call is that this year, 100% of the covenant members of Norris Ferry Church are giving to the budget. And I will be asking the treasurer, what is our percentage? Why? Because we're in financial problems? No. Because God commanded it. And it's what's best for your own life. Total devotion to the Lord recognizes that all things belong to the Lord. So total devotion, again, requires eyes of faith. Requires a willingness to look foolish. Requires total obedience. Requires giving God All the glory requires recognizing all things belong to the Lord. And finally, total devotion requires zero tolerance for sin. We see this in verse 21 and following. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, Ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Skip down to verse 24. They burned the city with fire and all that was in it. Only the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. However, God was faithful to his promises. However, verse 25, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had Joshua spared. And she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua made them take an oath at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds this city Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation, and with the loss of his youngest, he shall set up its gates. Total devotion required zero tolerance for sin. This week in our study guide that we put out here in the entrances and that we email and put on our our website, the study guide that goes each week with the message, this week we've got extra information in there talking about why was this commanded, why are we not commanded as God's people to go and conquer cities anymore, How how do we make sense of this, be sure and read more, but let me just give you a brief understanding, first of all, God owns it all, God deserves allegiance of every human being on the face of the planet, when God promised 
Abraham, I'm going to give you this piece of land. He said, but it's not going to be for hundreds of years because the iniquity of the Amorites has not reached its fullest. God knew that these people were wicked, hardened people and they hated God. They worshiped fertility gods and in their false worship of false gods, they got into grotesque practices that were wicked and evil, temple prostitution and child sacrifice. These are wicked people. It's a physical picture of our sinfulness. And God did not want to destroy them. He does not want, he does not take pleasure in bringing about his judgment, but he does by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And they had every right, just like Rahab, to humble themselves under the mighty, righteous, holy hand of God and be saved, but they refused. It's not ethnic cleansing. It's not racial cleansing like people who don't like Jesus want to talk about our Bible. That's all a lie. In fact, we see in the next chapter, a Jewish man does not obey God and he is wiped out. In this chapter, we see a Gentile harlot who comes to faith and she is not not wiped out. She is saved. This is not about race. This is not about ethnicity. This is... Divine judgment on those who rebel and refuse to humble themselves at the mighty hand of God. And it's a picture of the coming spiritual judgment that we face, all of us. God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. He is loving, He's kind, He is merciful, but He's just. And we all have a sense of justice. We all know that if someone does an evil crime to my loved ones, they deserve to be punished. Since we are all sinful, like the inhabitants of Jericho, and we all deserve God's holy and righteous wrath and punishment, what do we do to escape such judgment? Thankfully, God has provided a way of escape through the blood of Jesus Christ. Like Rahab, if we will put our hope and trust and faith only in God's promised provision of the, of the blood of a lamb, Jesus Christ, the, the lamb of God, the God-man, then he will spare us the coming judgment. He will declare us not guilty, righteous, holy, saints, despite our actions. And then and only then we are cleansed and spared the wrath of God. We are declared righteous and we are going to not face a day of judgment, but a day of grace that is coming when he returns. But from that moment on, from the moment of experiencing the amazing grace of God, that it should just astound us that he calls me holy when I know I'm not. The only proper response then is to live a life with hatred for sin. With zero tolerance for sin in my life. It doesn't mean I will be perfect, but it certainly means that I must view sin the way God views sin. And that is, do not allow it to remain. Put it to death in my life. Kill it and keep it down. Don't let it be built back up like the city of Jericho. Do 
Do you have that attitude towards sin in your life? In Deuteronomy 20, before they came into the promised land, Moses told them, you must be serious about this because if you let it linger, they will lead you astray and it will lead to your own destruction. And tragically, the rest of the story of Israel, that's exactly what happens. If you let sin linger in your life, it will destroy you. And that's why God hates it. Because He loves you. So if we're going to be totally devoted to the Lord, it means we must have zero tolerance for sin in our life. Have you been saved Have you been restored by the grace of God through Jesus' blood? If so, then you should be totally devoted to the Lord for what He has done for you. Final verse 27 says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and the Lord's fame was in all the land. May it be said about Norris Ferry. May we be a people who have experienced His grace. And every day we fall on our face amazed by such grace and say, Oh, my Lord, what do you have for your servant today? And may we walk with the Lord totally devoted to Him so that Norris Ferry community, the city of Shreveport says... The Lord is with Norris Ferry. And the Lord's fame be in all the land. Let's pray. Father, we want you to get all praise and glory and honor among us. May we be your representatives among the community of Norris Ferry and the city of Shreveport and wherever we go. May we just be the people who are described as people totally devoted to the Lord because of the grace that He has shown them. And in our total devotion, motivated by extraordinary grace, may You be with us and do great things for Your name's sake. Bring fame to Your own name among us as we go to our workplaces, as we go to the schools, as we head off to college, as we face the days that we have in our families, Lord, may all that we do be done in such a way that you get great glory and honor and fame. Lord, as we struggle to be totally devoted to you, remind us of your grace through your word. And may you get all the praise. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norsferrychurch.org.